Well, good morning. Hope you've had a good first week at NBBI. How many have started on their assignments already? Excellent. That's the way to do it. For those that didn't raise their hands, it's still early, so just don't let it get away from you. Well, we're going to, this morning, look for a few moments into God's Word. Uh, Several months back, I was preparing for a set of extension classes that my father-in-law and I are uh, into right now, and I always planned on developing a a whole course, and you're thinking, oh, good night, he's going to give me the whole course here here this morning. I'm not going to do that, but just a few thoughts from it. Back in, when I was in school, I think it was in 94, I remember sitting and hearing Mr. Breeden preach a message on uh, Jesus being in the midst. In, in, the old, in the New Testament, approximately five times we find Jesus is said to be in the midst. And it's interesting situations that he's found in. We know that he was in the midst of two thieves on a cross, and we have just taken time to reflect upon that. He was in the midst of his disciples in the midst of two strangers on the road to Emmaus. He's in the midst of the seven churches. And we learn quickly as we study Scripture, we learn the difference that Jesus makes when He's in the midst. You know, our lives, we're, we're especially in, in your setting here at MBBI, you're going to be surrounded by people all the time and roommates and people in, in dorm life. But how, how fitting it is for us to remember that the presence of Jesus is, is there. And He should make a difference in our lives. The things that we do, the things that we say. And the reason that's important is because there are going to be times when nobody's going to be around. And yet there in the quietness of your life, Jesus is in the midst. He's there. So we're going to just look at a few thoughts. I thought it would be fitting to, to think about a couple of these things this morning. And so I've... I've just going to highlight uh, a few of those things that I have studied over the past uh, few months. I want to begin with a, with a statement by D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said, said this to a, a friend as he was speaking about the closeness of his relationship with the Lord. And Moody said this, I have come to him, that is to Jesus, as the best friend I have ever found. And I can trust Him in that relationship. I have believed that He is my Savior. I have believed He is God. I have believed that His atonement on the cross is mine. I have come to Him. I have submitted myself on my knees. I have surrendered everything to Him. And I have gotten up and I have stood by His side as my friend. And there isn't any problem in my life. There isn't any uncertainty in my work. But I turn and speak to him as naturally as to someone in the room. And I have done it all of these years because I can trust Jesus. What a, what a simple yet profound thought that is as we think of Moody, the great things that he accomplished for the Lord as an evangelist. And, and you can almost sense the intimacy in which he approached his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's really what we want for you. That's really what I think 
a, a true servant of God, uh, somebody that is, that is truly in a vibrant and healthy relationship with God, has a, an acute awareness of God's presence in the midst of everything that they do. And I want you to turn to John chapter 20. We're going to look at an example here this morning of the difference that Jesus makes in the life of people. And the example that we want to look at, amongst the many that are available for us to study, is the example of Thomas. Now, Thomas is an interesting guy. We, we all know, we all have, have kind of labeled him what? What do we put before Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Do you think that's a fair statement to make? How would you like it if you made one wrong mistake in your life and somebody coined a phrase so that you would, all people for all times would remember that? Thomas, uh, even though that was a moment of doubt in his life, I, I'm sure thankful that people don't come up with a nickname for me based upon a shortcoming or something that I did wrong in my life. But yet, here, here we are. We're looking at doubting Thomas, right? And here, here in this passage, we look at John chapter 20, and let's look at what it says in verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, which is the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, and here's the phrase, and he stood in the midst. And he said to them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side, and then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And it goes on and it says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. That's a peculiar fact. In the midst of a, a trial, Thomas was not with the other disciples. We're not really told where he was or what he was doing or why he wasn't there. We just know that Scripture says he wasn't there. Now let, let's, let's read on and, and see, see what we learn. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, verse 25. But he said to them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. It's interesting that Thomas didn't miss this occasion, did he? First time he wasn't there. Then it says, guess what? The disciples are together again, but this time Thomas is there. He didn't want to miss the action. And it says, after eight days when they were together, Thomas with them, verse 26, then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and here's that phrase again, and he stood in the midst. When he stood in the midst, or in the earlier verses, he stood in the midst of the fearful disciples to bring them joy. And now he's going to stand in the midst of a doubtful man to demonstrate to this man, Thomas, that Jesus was indeed 
risen from the grave and had become victorious over death. So he stands in the midst. And it says in verse 27, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold thy, my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Let's examine this for a few moments. But before I do, I want to I tell you a, a story. A guy named Pyro of Ellis, Greece, a young man, joined the forces of Alexander of Macedon. He journeyed through Egypt, Babylon, Persia, India. During his travels, his ponderings led him to conclusions that produced the Greek philosophical school of skepticism. He maintained that no knowledge could be known for certain. Now follow along. No knowledge could be known for certain whether scientific, moral, religious, metaphysical, on all questions of truth, he said we must suspend judgment. Which leads us, according to him, to a state known as uh, ataraxia, which is a complete calmness of the soul when we suspend judgment. This philosopher is remembered as the ultimate anxious doubter who was not sure of anything who did not know anything. He was not sure that he did not know. Who even doubted whether the world itself was simply an illusion. And at the end of his life, who had to have friends accompany him in his walks, lest he should doubt the reality of a cliff and walk over its edge to his own room. We look at that and we think, what craziness. What craziness. And you know, Here's the thing that I want you to know. That mankind, that the man or society that tries to relieve his doubts through his own knowledge and through his, his own intellect is always going to end up like that man. Maybe not to that extreme. It's only Jesus, the presence of Jesus, that relieves our doubts and, and calms our fears and, and so we, we look and, and, and look at, there's a few things. Look at what, I, uh, what the verse says in John chapter 20. Let's come back to verse 24. It says, Thomas, one of the, the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. I want you to consider for a moment the question that we must ask that I presented a few moments ago. Is why was Thomas not there? What do you think? Talk to me. Why was Thomas not there? The Bible doesn't say, but, but let's just for a moment uh, think of some possible explanations. You give me one of them. Why was Thomas not there? Okay. So people that forsake the assembling of themselves together, can just come to the pastor and say, this was all <laughs> set up by God. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. That's Okay, anybody else? have a, what, what other explanation could there be for Thomas not being there? We don't really know. Uh, I, can, I can surmise as to why he wasn't there. Um, Thomas 
could have stayed away because he felt that he was too busy? Uh, Was he fearful of associating with his former companions because he thought possibly that, that any association with all of these people might put his life into jeopardy? That's possible. I believe that Thomas had probably lost heart. I think that Thomas, obviously, he had a problem with doubting. It's likely that Thomas probably thought, there, he, he knew, I don't think it was the fact that he didn't know that the disciples were going to be together, but I thought he probably was thinking, what's the use? I mean, Jesus has been taken away from us. What's the use in coming together? This ultimate wavering of faith was solidified in later verses. Probably had a lot to do with why Thomas was not there. But as we gather together as as God's people here this morning, here's something that we learn from Thomas. We must never forget that to miss a meeting with God's people is to miss a meeting with the Lord. Thomas missed a meeting with God's people. And, and if that was the end of the discussion, we might say, well, what's the big deal? But when we miss a meeting with God's people, we miss a meeting with the Lord. That's, who, that's truly why we're here. And so the tragedy in that verse, the tragedy is not that Thomas missed an encounter with his friends. The tragedy is not that Thomas missed an opportunity to be with his fellow companions, the people that he served along. The tragedy is that Jesus was in the midst. And Thomas missed it. And we must always be aware of the possibility, not that we miss encounters with other people, but that we fail to meet with the Lord. That's the tragedy that we see here. And I can guarantee, and I can say with as much authority as I can, that whatever else Thomas was doing, that he deemed necessary and important, whatever else he was doing, that led to the absence of this meeting, it wasn't worth it. That's all I know. We don't know what the particulars are, but we can guarantee, we can say with authority, that it wasn't worth it. And there are people today that fear or busyness or all kinds of things will drive them away from spending time with God's people, from doing what we're doing here this morning. And they're going to find someday when they stand before God and all of a sudden everything becomes clear of all of the times that they missed an opportunity to meet with Jesus. Because he was there in the midst. Whether it be Sunday morning here, whether it be this evening when you gather together and we hear testimonies, whether it be when you get up and you do, you do your devotions in the dorm, whether it be when we, we meet together to, to, to take our classes, every time we're together, it is an opportunity for us to recognize that Jesus is there in the midst. And he can make the difference. And Thomas missed it. Notice what else is true, though. I want you to, to notice what happens with Thomas when he has this encounter, uh, or excuse me, when he misses this encounter. It says in, in verse number 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, 
we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. Here are the four words I want you to notice. I will not believe. Unbelief is an act of the will. We choose to not believe. There are not people that exist in our world today that are simply saying, I simply do not believe that the gospel intellectually satisfies me. That's nonsense. People that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are really at the place where they might as well say, I will not believe. It is an act of the will. It is a choice. Thomas says, I will not believe. And it's interesting that the passage here, I find it fascinating that it does not say that he could not believe. It does not say that he should not believe. It says he would not believe. Listen to this statement. Most people don't want to know the will of God in order to do it. They just want to know the will of God in order to consider it. And when we meet with Jesus, not only is it important for us to recognize that all of these encounters that we're going to have this year, whether it be chapels or classes or so forth, are an opportunity to meet with Jesus, but they're also an opportunity to exercise our own will and to make a decision to believe and to move forward by faith in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I will not believe. Look at Romans chapter 1, and then we're going to come back to John. Come to Romans 1. Familiar passage. We, we all have probably read it at length, maybe several times. Romans 1, in, in, as we look at the sins of the ungodly, It says, after listing all, all, we're not going to take the time to read the prior verses, but, but the ungodliness of mankind is summarized with this statement in verse number 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. It was a decision, it was an act of their own will to say, I'm going to drive this concept of God away from me. Somebody that says they're an atheist has worked very diligently and very hard to come to that place in their life. That is not a natural place that somebody comes, into their, comes to in their life. If somebody says they're an atheist, they have, they have exercised and they have, they have just, just, like, just like an athlete works hard to become proficient at their given sport. So too, somebody that claims to be an atheist has worked hard. They have exercised themselves and they have worked hard to come to that place in their life because it's not natural. They didn't like to retain God in their knowledge. They wanted to get rid of it. Notice, notice what else we find out in John In John chapter 20, look at what it says in verse 25. 
The other disciples wherefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, naturally, we should say that Thomas should have believed the testimony of his brothers as being credible. Should he not have? But before we jump down his throat, let's consider this. That Thomas did provide for us a fitting reminder of what is important. It is not the testimony of Matthew Little that is going to bring somebody to the place in their life where they realize they need the transformation of the gospel to take place. It's not going to be your witty arguments. It's not going to be your intellect. It is going to be the prince. It is the, the evidence of a resurrected Lord and the power of that, that resurrection working in and through your life as a channel that's going to convince people of the need to trust in Jesus. You see, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Keep your finger in John because I'm going to show you something here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 7. We're, we're going to be done here just in a second. 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. It says this, so that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. The word in samples there is the same word used for print in John chapter 20 and verse 25. Thomas said, except I see in his hand the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, I will not believe. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, you are, or you were, prince to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. John Phillips puts it this way. The word print is the word tupon. And he says, what the print of the nail was to Thomas these Thessalonian Christians had been to the world. They had on their life the marks of Calvary. They were branded, carrying with them the marks of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world has every right to say to us, except we see the marks of the cross on you, we will not believe. The world is not interested in your doctrine. They're not interested in your views about life. They're not interested in your faith. Is there anything on your life that reminds them that Jesus died and rose again? I believe that one of the great reasons why people are not accepting maybe the testimony of God's people today is because they don't see the prince. And Jesus is in the midst this year as we live for him. But as we go out and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and we're involved in ministry in a practical way, when you're rubbing shoulders with people, I think they have the right to say to you, except I see the print, I will not believe. I don't think that they're asking too much to say that those that represent the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be those that are branded by the cross. 
It's like when somebody sees your life, they see through and through in everything that you do, in everything that, they, you, the, that you say, they see the marks of Calvary written all over you. Do you think that's too much for people to ask? Unless you're just suggesting that they should just take you at your word. You see, Thomas wouldn't take the word of disciples. These were close friends of his. He didn't take their word. He said, unless I see the prince. And I don't think for one moment that people should leave NBBI expecting that just because they have a Bible school education, people should just take their word for it. I think that no matter what you do for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not evidence and demonstrate in your life the prince, then you have no business being a representative of Jesus Christ. You've got to see the prince. You've got to see the marks of Calvary. The other thing... <clears throat> And the final thing that I just quickly want to show you is this, and then we're going to be done. It's interesting as we look at John chapter 20 and verse 27, it says, Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. You know what's interesting about that statement? It teaches us this. Faith does not stand still but neither does unbelief. Right now, you can only be one of two things. And you cannot be both things at the same time. You are either faithless or you are believing. What was Thomas? Even though, even though he was a servant of God, even though he was one of the disciples, what was he at this moment in his life? He was faithless. And faith either grows or diminishes. It does not stand still. What did Jesus say to people that thought they could stand still and be lukewarm in their life? He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. No such thing. So what is true about your life right now? You see... As you look at verse 27, the two words at the very bottom of that verse that says, be not, they can literally be translated, become not. Because you are becoming either stronger in your faith, or you are becoming more faithless today, but you're doing one of those things. That's all there is to it. And one of those things is true at this very moment in your life. Thomas, you are going to allow your doubts, Jesus said, to be on the move and grow while your faith continues to shrink, or you are going to be, or, you're, or excuse me, or you're going to allow your faith to be on the move and grow while your doubt shrinks. But one of those things is going to be true in your life, and he says, be not, or do not become more and more faithless but become more and more stable and strong in your faith. Matthew Henry said the the faithless are the Christless, the graceless, the hopeless, the joyless. Let us therefore say, Lord, I believe, help thou 
my unbelief. Let's recognize this year in our lives and all that we do. Let's recognize that Jesus is present. And the presence of Jesus makes all the difference because Thomas comes to the end of his encounter with Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. And we can be thankful for the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. But we also should be acutely aware of the fact that he's here. And everything that we do on this campus and everything that we say and the attitudes of the heart that we possess and that we have, Jesus is very much aware of where you are. That is an encouraging thought for a lot. And that can be a troubling thought for some. But it is truth no matter what we think of it. It's truth.